Katie's convalescence in ancient times went smoothly for a while. Although uncertain about where she was, she had found a way to communicate with her helpers when a severe infection from her wounds sent her into critical danger. Chapter 17 Septicemic Delirium Katie convalesced smoothly. A week after regaining consciousness, she was walking her new digs and talking her new tongue, although tentatively and tenuously. There were the inevitable setbacks. When talking to Tafani or Rebea, she had to change their words into English in her head to understand them. Most of the time this worked, although once in a while her brain would flame out in a short-circuit overload. Her body reacted similarly. As she pushed further and harder every day, her muscles complained. It was too soon, too hard, or too painful. Those were the times she wished she could throw her old body away. Katie wondered why no one from the outside attempted to find out where or how she was. Rebea hasn't mentioned my companions, she thought, and when I ask about them, she doesn't recognize their names. Maybe they're waiting for ransom money, she smiled at the thought. The people caring for her were too compassionate to be holding her hostage. But other things were strange. There were no clocks on the wall, and their clothes were peculiar. Okay, so let's figure this out. What's different? It's quieter. I have heard no noises from the outside, no sounds of vehicles moving or horns blaring, nothing. They don't have electricity, either. Modern medicines are non-existent, except herbal remedies. I've seen no medications or syringes, and the medical equipment is crude. There's no evidence of anything even close to modern medicine. My dad had to make this crutch for me, for Pete's sake. And where is Jay? The quarantine station isn't that far away, and they have all the medical equipment there that I would need to recover. Why can't I remember anything after the blast in the temple? And where the fuck is Renee? Katie felt vexed and perplexed. But still, there continued to be a communication barrier. The language context, the events and ideas of these people were tough to learn. Learning by using comparisons were proving very difficult. Katie was just beginning to realize the severe backwardness of this isolated society. The people who were caring for her were far, far different from the modern, civilized world Katie was used to. Deciding the only sensible approach was to forge ahead, Katie relaxed and stopped stressing. I will use this time to learn the language and heal my body, she told herself. If my companions can't find me, I must get well enough to get out of here and find them. Katie was seated at a small table, preparing for another day of healing, when Mudad noisily appeared at the doorway, with Nabil right behind him. He carried in his outstretched hands a treasured prize from Egypt. The long-promised roll of papyrus finally found its way to Ishtar's Lalish temple. Mudad pulled many diplomatic strings to get papyrus for his guest. Here it is. The papyrus has come. He proudly showed off his roll of parchment paper. As proud as a papa with a newborn babe, Mudad laid the roll gently onto Katie's lap. But despite being offered the latest inscribing technology, paper and ink, Katie was unimpressed. Before thinking, she blurted out, What in the heck is this? She didn't realize what she was holding was the result of weeks of labor. Ancient papermaking was labor-intensive. Peeled from the core of the papyrus stalk, the ancients sliced the outer fibers of the plant into thin, wide strips, soaking the strips in water for three days 
before pounding them to remove any sugars and to break apart the hard cellulose bonds. They lay the pieces out in a particular pattern, placing the strips the long way of the paper first, and laying shorter pieces across them for the second layer, ensuring a strong bond so the finished article wouldn't fall apart when handled. They placed the mushy, slippery mess under a stone slab to dry for six days. Finally, after drying, they polished the surface of the papyrus sheet to a smooth finish by rubbing it with a shell or a piece of creamy ivory. Katie did not understand the amount of energy required to present her with anything other than everyday ubiquitous clay. She merely sat and stared at the scroll of thick paper, slowly shaking her head. Her lack of appreciation devastated the poor priest. Muda was crestfallen. Wanting to show her proper respect, he held himself steady, but Katie could see the disappointment in the poor man's face. Immediately remorseful for the cruel response, Katie decided she would give this funky paper a try. Smiling, she nodded her head. With this positive sign, Nabil stepped from behind Mudad and shuffled to the table with a black liquid. He set the bowl of ink on top of the table and placed a reed stylus next to it. Katie unrolled the papyrus in her lap, picked up the stick, dipped it into the ink and brought it to the paper. She looked at the paper and thought and looked at it again. These people don't understand English or Diné, she thought. I don't know how to write in Kurdish or whatever language we are speaking, and I don't even know if they can read. Dropping the pen to paper, she started to print. K-A-T-I-E. The crowd gathered round to watch her write, mm-humming approvingly when they saw black marks spring forth on the papyrus as her hand glided the stick across its paper palette. It was a little awkward at first. The stick had a wide, flat point, like one she had used in a calligraphy class she took in college, so it took a moment. Katie, she told her admiring fans. Katie, she repeated, circling the word on the paper. She said, Katie, again, poking her finger into her chest. I am K.T. Rebea nodded in understanding. She knew her name was Katie, but she couldn't connect it with the letters Katie wrote on the paper. Katie spoke each letter slowly, pointing to each one. This didn't work either. As waves of discomfort began to gnaw fitfully inside of her, her head began to swirl. She let the nausea die down and tried a new tactic. I'll draw pictures for them, she decided. Since they cannot read my letters, maybe they will understand my drawings. Katie realized she was getting lightheaded, and she knew she didn't have much more time today. What should I draw, she thought. Rene, I'll draw Rene. If he is here, they will recognize him and bring him to me. Slowly, with keen concentration, Katie tried to ink a few lines, some circles, and some straight lines here and there. Shit, that looks like nothing, she scolded herself. It looks like someone in kindergarten drew it. This barely resembles a man, much less Rene. I know, I'll draw a UN sign. But just as she started to draw, a searing stab of pain flashed behind her eyes, forcing her to squint in agony. Still, she pushed herself to communicate. She needed a breakthrough. Can you write? she finally asked Mudad directly in English. Bewildered and frightened, appearing as though Katie accused him of a grave transgression, Mudad put both his hands to his chest, shaking his head back and forth. Desperately, he searched his mind for what she was looking for. Mudad, he told her. Mudad, he repeated. Frustrated, Katie held the pen high in the air again. Can you write, she asked him again. She jabbed the stick at him, not only to emphasize her question, but also to vent her mounting frustration. 
Panicked, uncertain what to do with this threatening advance, Budad again shook his head. No. Katie's head swirled, her vision blurred, and she slumped in her seat. The stylus dropped from her hand to the floor. As Rabea bent down to pick it up, Katie slipped from the chair onto the cold, hard stone floor, unconscious. Help me! Rabea yelled. Nabil bent down to help her collect the lifeless goddess. Rabea arranged Katie on the bed and felt her forehead. Ishtar is ill, she said, and ran to fetch medicines. A few minutes later, both of Katie's nurses stood at the head of the bed. Okay, Rabea said as she and Tifani pulled Katie upright. They wanted her to swallow liquid from a chalice Nabil was holding, but they needed to wake her up first. Trying to pour liquid down someone's throat could cause a breathing problem if the fluid went into the lungs. Rabea gently tapped Katie on her cheek, then slapped her lightly to pull her from unconsciousness. But Katie wouldn't wake up. She needs this medicine. Shake her, Tefani, shake her. Tefani grabbed her shoulders, moving her back and forth. Harder, Rabea demanded. Tefani shook quicker, harder. The jerking movement finally woke the goddess. She was delirious and talking loudly in her native tongue, babbling. Rabea knew her fever was spiking, but talking meant the throat muscles were working so she could swallow. Nabil, bring the mix, Rabea turned to the younger priest, holding a large clay goblet, finely painted in bright colors. With a sturdy, thick stem and two inverted V-shaped handles on either side, it took two hands to drink from it. While Tefani steadied Katie's upper body, Rabea cradled her neck and helped Nabil position the chalice on Katie's lower lip. Now, Rabea instructed. Nabil tipped the cup slowly, carefully. Please swallow, Rabea urged. Katie did, and when she drank enough, the women laid her down and waited for the drink to work its calming effect. Katie slowed but remained fitful, moving her head back and forth on the pillow. When her eyes opened and she tried to sit up, Rabea and Tefani gave her more liquid from the vessel. Soon the restlessness diminished, her eyes closed, and the babbling quieted to mumbling. Rabea sighed with relief when Katie's lips stopped moving and her head fell sideways. It was time to find the reason for the setback. I want to check her leg wound, Rabea said, motioning for Mudad to come closer. Nodding, he placed his hand on Katie's bandaged shoulder. Is she ready? Is it too soon? There was no response when Rabea squeezed Katie's hand. She pressed it harder, but still, no response. Okay, try now, Mudad. He pushed on Katie's leg wound through the bandage. Still no movement. Katie was not feeling any pain. Rabea came closer to watch him remove the dressing. They had impregnated the inner gauze with an ancient cream that had both antibiotic and anti-inflammatory medicinal qualities. It was sticky honey. As he carefully picked away the inside bandage, they could see the large gash in the muscle on the outside of the leg, midway between her knee and hip. But it seemed to be healing nicely. Pass a wet cloth, please, Mudad said as he held his hand out for the rag. Thank you. He gently cleaned the wound's surface. It looks good, don't you think? he asked Rabea. Yes, I believe it is better. Do you want to change to tar or continue with the honey? Mm, honey. The wound has to close up more before we use tar. Let's check her shoulder, Rabea started unpeeling the shoulder wrap. Open it slightly, only near the wound, Rabea, Udad said. Rabea bent down and sniffed. Oh, it smells bad. There's poison in this wound. Madad looked up at Tefani. Fetch more washcloths, he said, while gently pulling the bandages further apart, uncovering an ugly field of discolored flesh. He shook his head. 
Mudad knew Katie fractured her collarbone because he felt the broken ends grinding under his finger pressure. But he didn't understand the real reason for Katie's fainting was from a bacterial infection that was poisoning her blood. A growing abscess was killing her. One sliver of the shattered bone had lost all blood and nutrient supply. This dead but warm fragment offered a perfect breeding ground for bacteria introduced from the bullet wound. Katie's body responded by sending in white cells to kill and eat the bacterial invaders. As the infection worsened, the discharge accumulated and became a painful abscess, a pocket of pus filled with deadly toxins. To make matters worse, the abscess was not superficial. It was deep down between the muscle layers. Because this putrid, vile-smelling goo could not escape Katie's body, toxins were leaking into her bloodstream, painfully poisoning her to death. Budad couldn't have helped her even if he knew what the problem was. He didn't have the knowledge or the diagnostic tools. Turn her over, he said, dismayed at his lack of inspiration. No, push up this way. I want to see the hole in the back. His patient was dying right in front of him, and his panic rose quickly. Oh, 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 Katie moaned. Nabil, quickly, Nabil, bring the chalice. The younger priest came through the doorway, holding the bull's head chalice, and nervously brought Katie more opium elixir. His jerky movements caused him to slosh liquid over the spout. Katie was slipping in and out of consciousness. She felt someone push on the area and cried out, Oh, it hurts so much, and passed out again. Rebea, we're losing Ishtar. What can we do? Mudad was in a panic. The other stranger who wore the same clothing as Ishtar, Rebea replied, fetch him. We don't know who he is. He may harm Ishtar. Ishtar will not survive if we do not try. We must bring him here. Nabil, where's the other dark stranger? Mudad asked. The one whom Sadat is guarding? Yes. Bring the fellow here. Go, quickly. When Katie came to again, she heard a voice she recognized, speaking in a language she understood. It's Rari, her mind told her. Oh, my dearest love, she cried out in Navajo. I miss you. I need you. Help me, baby, my dearest, my precious Ka'logi, my butterfly. Katie knew she was ill. She felt on fire and her whole body ached. I'm sick. I'm sick, she thought. Opening her eyes, she looked for Rory, but he was not there. I imagined him. She moaned and closed her eyes. I will die without seeing Rory ever again, without seeing Rene. Overcome by the horrible emptiness of being alone, feeling naked and cold, Katie sobbed uncontrollably. Mercifully, a searing, stabbing pain pushed her back into blackness. In the darkness, she saw Rory again. I told Rene to take care of you, he said to her. Rory's face changed. Now Rene was hovering over her. You found me. I knew you would, she said to him in her dream. Oh, but it hurts so, Rene. Katie blacked out again. Suddenly she gasped as a severe pain near her neck jolted her eyes open. The point of a knife piercing deep into her shoulder woke Katie with excruciating pain. But just as suddenly, a massive rush of release from the pain followed. With the lancing of the boil, the toxins oozed out. It was the only way they could save her life. Rene had known what to do. Now things will be okay, Katie realized. Rene is here for me, and Rene has Rory's back, like brothers. Rene will help me. He's calling me. It's okay, Katie. It'll be okay, Rene cooed soothingly. Katie wanted to drift into her dream again, but Rene's voice was insistent. Drink this. Drink it now, sweetheart. It is so bitter, but I will, she thought. 
Oh, I am with Roy and René. It's warm, and we are with the sheep, and Mother is here, too. But they're floating away. I want to grab them, but I can't. The morphine elixir pushed Katie into a deep, pain-free slumber. When she woke, it was light. Lucid and coherent, Katie had a tremendous headache. Her eyes hurt when she moved them. Even her hair hurt, and her mouth was dry. She wanted a Coke and a Big Mac with French fries. Looking around painfully, Katie saw a chalice of water. When she stretched to reach for it, a woman in a robe came to her side. Oh, yes, she thought. Now I remember. It's Rebea. The woman smiled and said something in a language that seemed familiar. Oh, I know, Katie remembered. It's hello. Hello, she said out loud, and soon they were conversing, almost as they had two weeks earlier. Katie, with Rebea's help, pieced together what happened to her. She almost died, but now the wound was draining, allowing her shoulder to heal. A few days into her second recovery, Katie hobbled about on the crutch Mudad made. Rehab went painfully slow for her, but the day finally came when she felt strong enough to go outside. Katie was excited. The priests and their families assembled for the event. Mudad led the procession. Nabil was behind to his right, and Sadat, his son, was on his left. Katie followed slowly, with Rebea and Tafani beside her, to steady her. Mudad still wanted to keep the public in the dark about his mystery guest in the Lalish temple. He had successfully kept his secret of the past four weeks among a handful of trusted people. Katie was hoping the trip outside would help her get her bearings. She had noticed the people around her all wore the same peculiar clothing. They must all be temple workers, she thought. And why is everyone here so fair? What happened to the dark-skinned people? Am I somewhere else entirely? It was very confusing. Katie had so many questions that she didn't know how to ask. It was a grayish, cloudy day for Katie's first excursion. However, a few minutes after they left the entryway of the temple, the weather cooperated in a majestic, divine way. As the fog burned away, a beam of sunlight illuminated the temple doorway. Mudad instructed his staff that this was an exercise procession only, telling them to keep this low-key. But now a crowd had gathered, and when the sun came out brighter and pinpointed Katie in its spotlight, a wave of excitement rippled through the amazed spectators. This irritated Mudad, because his careful plans were going awry. Now he was leading a procession, with the sun spotlighting the parade headliner. He turned to Nabil. Once we make it around the corner of the temple, we must turn around, he said. But his heart sank when he saw the crowd grow bigger. They were picking up new people with each step. Katie turned around to see what was causing the commotion and laughed out loud. It reminded her of one of those weddings they throw in New Orleans, where the bride and the groom lead their wedding guests on a roundabout way through downtown for a handful of blocks. The parade here was similar, except for the lack of motorcycle-mounted policemen and a jazz band. Mudad, look, Nabil whispered. Mudad glanced back. Oh, no! The man who accompanied Ishtar on her journey to Earth was standing next to Sadat, watching the event. Even though he brought the goddess back from near death, Mudad was not ready to trust the stranger. Nabil, turn around now, the priest ordered, panic in his voice. Tell Sadat to move the stranger. He has no place here. But just as Nabil started to turn Katie back, she spotted a fellow leaving the patio. He stood out among all the others because of his olive-brown skin. He must be a foreigner, she thought, and it made her smile. He looked like he didn't belong here, but neither did she. Katie's daydreaming was ended abruptly by a sharp pain shooting up her leg. 
I need to lie down, she thought as her vision blurred and darkened. But something about this man's walk was familiar. Wait, this is like my delirium dream, but maybe it isn't a dream. Could it be? No. Yes! Renee! she yelled. Her scream pierced the noise of the carnival-like atmosphere. Immediately, everyone stopped talking, and silence permeated the patio. Renee! she yelled for him again. Everyone turned toward Katie, including Renee. Hey, Katie, how you feeling? he said nonchalantly. I see they finally let you outside. You look good, girl. In shock, Katie fell to the ground in a dead faint. Renee instinctively ran to her. Stop! the men on each side of Renee yelled when they saw him move. He hadn't learned the word stop in Sumerian, but he got the gist of the word when his friends grabbed his arms and held him. Let go of me, you idiots, Renee barked to the man holding his right arm. He shook himself free. She just fainted. She's not dead. I didn't kill her, if that's what you think, you moron. I saved her life, remember? Katie was only out for a moment, and as soon as she woke, she called for him. Renee, Renee, she said and reached out for him. Rebea knelt next to her as Tofani cradled Katie's head, protecting it from the cold stone. It isn't a dream. Katie's mind was racing. She looked up to see Rebea and Tofani peering at her. Renee! Katie hollered. Renee struggled with his holders. Katie! he called back as he fought to be free. The crowd connected the two people yelling at each other in an unknown tongue and parted for the strangers. Renee shook free of the men and ran to his dear friend. He reached Katie just as Rebea and Tefani helped her stand. She held her arms out. Tears streamed down her face as she sobbed, overwhelmed. Renee, Renee, Renee! Katie grabbed him by his neck. Renee smothered her in a massive bear hug, clenching her hard enough to push the breath from her. But she didn't care. These were little things. The pain of his strong embrace wasn't as crucial as knowing she wasn't alone here. Oh, Renee, Renee, how I've missed you. My dear Atzelet. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you're here. She hugged him close and pushed him away, searched his face, and pulled him close again. Yes, 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 yes. Words would not stop spilling from her mouth. She focused only on him, and he saw only her. The joy was contagious and spread throughout the crowd. Only Mudat was not happy. He knew he needed to take control immediately, or this thing would get out of hand. Come, we must return to the temple. We have been outside too long. Follow me, please. And he, the priest disdainfully pushed his finger at Renée, he should stay here. He has no place in the temple. He must stay outside. Although Katie still could not understand much of this rapid speech, she realized that the fellow did not like Renée. Renée looked at Katie. She glanced back at him and slowly shook her head. A smile crept across both their faces. No, Katie said. She shook her head and firmly held her ground. Saying no with a headshake is a powerful universal signal. Mudad understood this, and he did not like it, but he couldn't do anything about it. Come, bring me inside, Renée, Katie said, as she leaned into his steadying arms. She was elated and sore and fatigued. Here, come closer, closer. Hug me while we walk. This is great. This is just so cool. She could not stop her gushing happiness. Renée, how long have you been here? I thought I would never see you again. She was excited to be spilling out as much noise in English as possible. She stopped, still smiling. The parade ended, too, waiting for her to continue when she wished. She looked at Renée. It is so good to see you, Atzele. She relished the flow of good feelings coursing through her. It's just so good to see you. She grabbed his hand and the parade started up again. They walked back to the temple, holding hands like a couple on their first date.
My goodness, Renée, I feel like I've been here alone for a very long time. How long has it been? You must tell me everything. Was anyone else wounded? Are you okay? Where are the others? Where's Jay? Why hasn't he come? Have I gotten a letter from Rory yet? Did you miss me? She continued to ask him questions, not giving him time to answer, while they made their way back into the temple. Now that she found him, she would never let him leave her side. End of chapter. Thank you for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick My Books, and select Katie Becomes Ishtar. That'll take you to the Ancient Katie series of books. Inconvenient Goddess can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book, as well as an audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com.